Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16, if you're using one of the hardback Bibles, you'll find it on page uh, 925. Acts 16, we'll begin in verse 11. The bulletin says through 36, we're actually going through 40. Uh, I don't know why I did that, but apparently I did. Um, That's a little long to stand, so we'll ask you just to remain seated as we read God's Word together. Acts 16, beginning in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, uh, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her, and it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. But that when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But when Paul, but Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he spoke and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then they brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, 
they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were, that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us. Use this, your word, to root out sin in our lives, to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. All for the honor and glory of our Savior, we pray. Amen. You know, if you ask, um, if you bring up the word freedom in various contexts, uh, you want to know, well, how, how would you define freedom? Some people will define it as freedom from something. Some people will define it as freedom to something. Janis Joplin, it was, you know, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. When, when everything's already gone, or when you don't care enough about what possessions you do have, that if you lose them, that's okay. That's, in her mind, true freedom. If you go ask the Founding Fathers, what's your take on freedom? Well, we've given you freedom from the King, and we've given you from a state-run religion, and we've given you freedom to gather and assemble, freedom to, uh, to worship as you see fit, freedom to bear arms, freedom to have a fair trial, and, and a host of other freedoms as well. This passage actually walks us through stories of different people being set free in Philippi. First, and we're going to actually work backwards through the passage. First, notice Paul and Silas are freed from prison. They're in Philippi. Philippi is a a city. It's a Roman city. We were told early on in the passage. It's, um, It's named for Philip II by Philip II. That gives you some idea about how much he liked himself. Uh, And when Caesar Augustus um, came along, he made Philippi a uh, a Roman colony, which meant that everyone there had all the rights and privileges and freedoms of Roman citizens. They were treated as Roman citizens. In fact, it became a place where uh, many who were many retired Roman soldiers would retire there and live there in Philippi. Paul is a Roman citizen by birth, which means he's granted the rights and privileges and freedoms of a citizen of Rome, just as you and I, born particularly those born here in the in the U.S. and as U.S. citizens, we're granted the the freedom, the rights, the, the freedoms that citizens have granted to us by the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the etc. But in verse twenty two, Paul and Silas are arrested, they're falsely accused, they're publicly beaten, they're thrown into prison, they're given no trial whatsoever completely mistreated, 
and and then chained to each other, to the wall, their feet in stocks, probably pulled apart, kind of uncomfortably so, bound at the, the wrists and the ankles. And keep in mind that having been beaten, their backs are bloodied and exposed and their wounds were never cleaned. Those are all a violation of Paul's rights. Do you remember why Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke are in Philippi? Do you remember how they got there? Back at the beginning of chapter 16, we looked at this last week, Paul wanted to go east. The Spirit of God prevented him from doing so. He wanted to go north. And the Spirit of God prevented him from doing so. He had a vision of a man in Macedonia calling him to come over to Macedonia. He wakes up and goes, guys, this is the vision I've had. They have the conversation. They decide that that vision is from God. And so they head to Macedonia. That's where Philippi is. It's kind of that northern section of Greece. They're in Philippi because God has very clearly and obviously called them to Philippi. How many of you, how many of us, would have given up? See, we have this notion that to be, that what we want, we want to be in the center of God's will. I want to know what God wants me to do. And I want to be in the center of God's will for my life. And we use our circumstances to determine whether or not that's where we are. We would have been arrested, beaten, thrown in prison and gone, hmm, where did I go wrong? Where did I misread God's design for my life? We let our circumstances evaluate God's Word rather than the other way around. There's no question that Paul and Silas are exactly where God wanted them to be. And they're arrested and mistreated and beaten and battered and imprisoned and left there. You and I would do well to learn to use God's promises to evaluate our situation, not to let our situation evaluate God's promises. Paul and Silas are very clearly in the middle, right dead in the center of God's will, which apparently included prison. How many, how many people out there today are saying that if you just trust in Jesus, then the bad stuff doesn't happen to you. It happens to other people. Tell that to Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are in prison. And it's midnight and they're um, singing hymns and praying. And then an earthquake shows up out of nowhere. I guess that's how earthquakes work. I would assume they just show up out of kind of nowhere. That's why I'll take hurricanes over tornadoes because you're 
your, your warning time is much longer. And I'll take tornadoes over earthquakes because you get no warning whatsoever. And that just kind of scares me. This, this, the earth shakes and, and the gates open or fall apart and the shackles come off. Not just of Paul and Silas, but it seems of every prisoner in there. And the soldier, the, the, the guard, the jailer gets up and, and goes and finds the doors open and he's convinced that it, I mean, what prisoner, what prisoner when your chains fall off and the doors fly open, what prisoner stays there? They're gone. And so he grabs his sword and is prepared to fall on it. His life is over. He's going to be held responsible for their escape. And that's when Paul calls out, we're all here. Nobody left. But notice what happens in verse 35. The magistrate's send to free Paul and Silas and then themselves come somewhere in the night they have determined that that Paul and Silas didn't do anything right I mean anything wrong somewhere during the night they've they've decided for whatever reason this is enough warning uh, we've we've taught them a thing or two um, or or maybe they did nothing wrong we're not actually given that information it's amazing when you read scripture how many times you're like going, well, hold on, time out, time out, time out. There's, there's a story here that we aren't given I sure would love to get. We don't get that story every single time in God's Word. But they come and set Paul and Silas free. But are they free? They were let out of prison, but then they were also asked to leave the city. That's not exactly freedom. Okay, sure, they're freed from their chains, but they don't have the freedom to stay there in Philippi. They're, they're instructed to leave to go elsewhere. So we see God's power over even the chains that bound Paul and Silas you and I need to be careful about how we read the Bible. We frequently want to make a narrative normative. We typically, we frequently want to take a story told to us in Scripture. We want to make that person, that person's experience in the Bible a universal truth. Paul and Barnabas were freed from, and Paul and Silas are freed from prison. If I'm ever arrested and thrown in prison, then I should expect that God will free me too. That's, that's what we do. We take, we take a narrative. We take, we take one person's experience and try to make it a universal truth. Except that Paul is eventually, in the end of Acts, going to end up in prison again. This time in Rome. Where he will never be freed. You and I are tempted to read their experience and assume that God's going to make that our experience too. Just because God chose to free Paul and Silas doesn't mean 
that this will be a rule for our lives. You and I may very well face mistreatment on account of Christ. In fact, Jesus promised as much. You and I may very well face mistreatment because we are united to Christ, because we are associated with Him, because we claim His name. Whether God frees us or not from our external circumstances is up to Him. God frees Paul and Silas from prison. But we also see an account of a young girl being freed from the power of darkness. Notice in verse, uh, beginning of verse 16, Paul and Silas are walking around uh, Philippi there um, and the, the surrounding region, even outside the city walls a bit. And, and, and they're on their way to the place of prayer as a, as a Roman colony, as a Roman city. They were, Judaism would have been outlawed. It would have been against the law. And so... And there appears to be no synagogue there in Philippi. And so people met outside the city at a, a river. And there they, uh, they prayed together. But while they're walking around, they're being followed by this young slave girl. And she has the, the power to... Um, a spirit of divination. She has the power, this ability to tell the future. You've, you've seen you've seen the old houses with the sign out front, Madam So and So, Palm Reader, Madam So and So, Fortune Teller. Maybe they have the power to do that. Maybe maybe they actually can see some specific things in people's future. But if they can, it's a it's a spirit that comes from Satan himself and not from God. Stay away from them. That's a it's a sign of. Of, of lack of trust in God and His providence, quite honestly. It seems this girl can actually tell the future. And it's more than your typical fortune cookie um, fortune, which is you know, typically j- just specific enough to make you take notice. Just general enough that it almost can't be wrong. She's using this special power to see into the future. And people paid handsomely for that. They didn't pay her, though. They paid her owners. You notice that word's used twice. Verse 16 and verse 19. She doesn't have... They're not parents. They're not friends. They're not... I don't know, co-labored. They are her owners. She is a blender. She's a dishwasher. She's a a, a piece of property for these these people that own her. And, And so people would come and pay the owners for this girl to tell their future. They're making all the money. Her owners are making all the money. She's doing all the work. But she's also, verse 17, following Paul and Silas around. Hey, y'all, these guys are telling people about Jesus. 
They're servants of the Most High God and they're talking about the way of salvation. Imagine. You're walking around Limestone County preaching Jesus. Preaching salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And there's a well-known young girl here in town following you around. You wouldn't really, you wouldn't have to practice your, you know, evangelism explosion conversation turners, because you'd have one following you everywhere you went. I mean, people would come and ask, "What, what, what is this she's talking about?" Well, let me tell you. I mean, all the doors are open. All the conversations are, are there for you to have. You don't have to practice, you know, how do I turn this conversation about football into something about Jesus because I've got this, this walking, shouting billboard following me around. And you might think that that's a good thing. And perhaps for a while it, it is a good thing. Perhaps for a while it was a good thing because it sounds like she did this for days until... Finally, Paul said, you know what? This is enough. That, that's enough. And, and Luke literally tells us, Paul got annoyed. If nothing else, just the constant servants of the Most High God talking about everywhere you went, you can understand how that would get annoying. But she's telling the truth. Hold on a second. She has an evil spirit of divination. She's demon-possessed in some form or fashion and proclaiming the truth. Don't miss that. I mean, that should make you go, hold on a second, wait, what? Why on earth is she doing that? Well, notice Luke doesn't exactly tell us. It's... It's safe to assume at least this. Number one, James tells us, you believe that God is one? Great! So do the demons. They believe that too. Besides, if I want you to believe a lie, I don't start with a lie way out of left field. I start with just a little bit of truth, just a little bit of confusion, just enough to make you think, huh. So she's following them around. Yes, she's announcing, proclaiming the truth. But you know good and well, the goal is that she will actually create confusion and division rather than unity around the gospel. And so Paul and Silas... Paul turns and says, commands this spirit to come out of her. He frees this young girl from this demon. She's freed from the the power of darkness. And and the way the language reads in verse 18, followed by verse 19, the same verb is used. The spirit left her. The hope of gain left her owners. They knew right then and there, there goes our income. Now we got to actually work. Now we got to find a job. Now our, and so she ends up freed from them as well, it appears. 
She's no longer worth keeping around. She was only useful for her financial benefit to them, and after that was gone, they didn't need her anymore. Christ frees her from the power of darkness. There are people that you know who are actually held by the power of darkness. It would be tempting to think that guy is too far gone. This passage says there's no such thing. Christ can free us from the power of darkness. Finally, I want you to see we have people freed not just from prison, not just from the power of darkness, but we actually have people freed from the power and penalty of sin. Notice in verses 11 to 15, Paul and Silas are there in Philippi. They've, they've gone out to the, the river. There's no synagogue. It's, it's where people gather to pray. And there they meet uh, a lady named Lydia. She's from Thyatira. She's gathered there with uh, the, the Jews, with the converts uh, there to pray. Uh, we're told she seems to be this model Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, there's, there's no mention of a husband. Maybe he's not there. Maybe she's there on business and he's not with her. Maybe... Maybe she's single. Maybe she's been single forever. Maybe he's deceased. We're not given any of that information. She does have, there's no mention of a children, but there is a mention of a household. So she has a household, probably servants that came, that traveled with her at the very least. She's uh, wealthy. She, um, she has a place there in Philippi. She's a seller of purple goods. Purple came from shellfish. Like that's... That's not an easy process. So it was, it was costly. It was time-consuming, which means uh, she is a, a wealthy woman. But we're also told that she's a worshiper of God. She's a, a Gentile convert to Judaism, sort of. We saw this with Cornelius back in chapter 10. It means he's embraced much of what Judaism teaching, teaches, except he's not keeping the food laws and he's not been circumcised. She's not keeping food, law, food laws, but has embraced much of what Judaism teaches. Incidentally, what's one of the main objections our culture has against Christianity today? It's that we suppress women. The culture says Christianity can't be good because it suppresses women. It, it doesn't want to give any honor or credit at all to women. Lydia is a woman. The first convert in all of Europe. Remember last week, Paul wanted to go east, couldn't, wanted to go north, couldn't was told to go west. And we said that's one of the reasons we've seen throughout history the gospel spreading westward. The, the reason the gospel took such deep root in western civilization was because of, of Acts 15 and 16. 
And yet here, the first person converted in Europe is a woman. Do I need to remind you who the last people were at the cross? Women. Who the first people were at the empty tomb? Women. There's actually a a pattern there in Scripture. Lydia comes to saving faith in Christ, but notice notice how. Notice the instrument. Notice what Paul uses to bring her to saving faith. Look at verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, uh, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. She heard God's word. She heard the gospel. Paul's proclaiming the gospel. He's proclaiming the word of God and she responds to it. God grants her hearing to, and, a, and a new heart so that she might hear and understand and embrace the gospel. The same is true of the jailer in verses 29 to 34. Maybe as you're reading this chapter, Acts, the verse 30 seems a little hasty. I'm going to kill my jailer. I'm going to kill myself. The prisoners are all gone. Hey, don't do that. We're all still here. What must I do to be saved? That seems awfully quick. But remember, they've been singing hymns. They've been praying. They've been proclaiming the Word of God throughout the city. They used their time there in prison, no doubt, to talk about Christ and the way of salvation. They'd had this girl following them around and announcing that that was their message. And it's the fact that they didn't leave that made him go, wait a minute, there's something different about these people. Maybe the things we've heard them say really are true. And so he asks, what must I do to be saved? And notice verse 32. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he repents and believes the gospel. He comes to saving faith in Christ. Both Lydia and the jailer hear the gospel proclaimed. They respond in faith and receive the greatest freedom ever granted to anyone. Freedom from the punishment that sin deserves. Freedom from the guilt and shame of their rebellion against God. See, Paul and Silas weren't guilty, but were thrown in prison anyway. The Gospel says you are guilty, but I'm setting you free anyway. I'm not sweeping it under the rug and pretending it didn't happen. I'm paying the debt myself, Christ says to His people. Let me make a couple, several, a handful of applications from this passage. First, just again to reiterate, we made this this point earlier. There is no guarantee that as believers, our conditions will change. We have no 
guaranteed hope that we will be freed from prison. But we have every guarantee that those who believe in Christ are freed from the power of darkness and the penalty of sin. A second application I want you to notice. Verse 14, God's sovereignty in bringing people to saving faith in Christ. This is consistent with the conversation we're having on Thursdays at 12 at our men's Bible study. Look at verse 14. Why does Lydia believe? The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Apart from the Spirit's work of regeneration, apart from from that heart surgery that only the Spirit can perform on us, take our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh, only through God sovereignly opening our ears and our heart to hear and to embrace the Gospel can we repent and believe. Apart from God's grace, you and I are left in our sin. And we see that pattern throughout the book of Acts. That God is sovereign over those who repent and believe the Gospel. A third application. I want you to notice that God's Word is the instrument that He uses to bring people to saving faith in Christ. Our testimonies can give illustration of salvation. Our testimonies can tell things that are true, but ultimately... Everyone who comes to saving faith in Christ must come face to face with God's Word. Fourth, let me make this observation. Notice there are two effects of salvation in this passage. Loving Christ means loving those who belong to Christ. Did you notice that both Lydia and the jailer the minute they are brought to saving faith in Christ, they invited people into their home. Lydia is saved. She's baptized. And she says, y'all come stay with me. The jailer is, is, believes. He invites them into his home. He heals their wounds. He cares for them. He gives them food. And is then baptized. They embrace the covenant community and receive the sign of entrance into the covenant community. A fifth application. Notice there's a pattern here. And we don't have time to unpack this completely. Uh, We'll do this anytime we have uh, baptisms here at Grace Covenant. Uh, But let me make this observation. We're told that Lydia believed. We're told her whole household was baptized. We're told the jailer believed. We're told his whole household was baptized. This is where we get the practice of household baptism. We baptize those who come to saving faith in Christ and their children. Six, let me make this observation for you. Back when we, um, this has been a couple of years ago now, when we preached through the book of Philippians, we actually started with this passage and looked at the, the, the core group that became the church in Philippi. A, a jailer 
with some sort of some amount of Roman citizenship and and authority, um, you know, police authority kind of a role. A jailer, a woman, an Asian woman, and a slave girl. Now we're not told she came to saving faith in Christ, but I can't fathom. This would be the only example I know of in Scripture in which someone was freed from demonic power and not saved too. So I, I can't fathom her not coming to saving faith in Christ. There's men, women, old, young, rich, poor, local, foreign. That became the beginning of the church in Philippi. That's what we want Grace Covenant to look like. Old, young, local, foreign, Alabama and Auburn. We take all kinds. Rich, poor. That's what we want Grace Covenant to look like. And a final application is this. If you've never trusted in Christ for your salvation, this passage guarantees you freedom from the penalty of your sin. It does not guarantee that your conditions will change. You won't suddenly become rich. You won't suddenly become poor. You won't suddenly become local or foreign. You won't suddenly become good looking. You won't suddenly become you know whatever. But it does guarantee, guarantee freedom from the second death. Yes, our bodies may be laid in the ground. The body they may kill. But we are guaranteed eternity with Christ forever. Because of His righteousness credited to our account, He's paid the debt that our sin demands. If you've never trusted in Jesus, let me urge you, to run to Him this morning. Run to the cross of Christ and there find forgiveness. Let's pray.